idea you're having a chilly cook-off, although you ought to have it in the summer, then it'd be a warm cook-off. <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. Okay, I'm going to leave my keys down here to remind me to grab this commentary. Some of you remember Dwayne and Jane Schuler gave me this commentary through the Bible. J. Vernon McGee. Anyway, I've got a bunch to read from him a little bit later. Um, Linda said hi. Linda said say hi. She has a, every Saturday and Sunday she picks up food and uh, delivers it, takes some to Emmaus, takes some to, to Rachel um, Schultz Sylvester uh, and others who distribute it. Um, so that's one reason she has a hard time getting away for the weekend. Plus, she didn't want to go fishing with me yesterday afternoon. But that's really the reason in this case was, uh, was the food distribution. But she did extend her, her, uh, her greetings. <clears throat> when somewhere, I, I was somewhere preaching. They, some, somebody said to me, Stephan, are you still married? Because <laughs> I would travel so much without Linda. I do love her, and we are still married, and we, are, we still have some wonderful moments together once in a while. (laughs) Well, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for this time we can be together. Thank you for the fellowship that we have with one another, and it's ultimately through you and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for him, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand your precious word and who um, inspired the writers uh, of, of your precious word as they wrote down um, the scriptures. We thank you for, for the Bible and how it teaches us what we really need to know in life. Some of it is weighty and um, hard to take. Some of it is really enjoyable, but it's, uh, all of the Bible is your precious word, and we ask that for your help as we study it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, you know, usually I like to start sermons with jokes and get us comfortable and relaxed. This won't be one of those. So I've told my own, probably my only uh, joke of the day because it's a, a, a actually a rather uh, serious passage that we're going to look at this morning. And this past spring, I was a reading, and we'll get to the passage after a little bit, but this spring I was reading uh, this, this particular book of the Bible, going through it, and, and it just popped on me. And it's a, a book that people hardly ever preach out of, and I probably have never preached out of, and if I had, it was probably only a few verses. But it was like, have you ever come to a a passage of scripture, you almost felt like it's almost the first time you ever read that passage. And I had, um, anyway, I had that this spring and I felt like I just need to, to go through this with, with myself and the Lord and also with other people. And so we're going to look in, in a passage, a, a chapter from that book eventually. But before we do, just to get us thinking about what went on in this book, and it might give you a, a hint as to what that, this book is, but imagine, if you will, here, here we are in Atlantic, Iowa, and I know some of you, I live in Dubuque, some of you live outside of town, but just imagine that we all live in 
side Atlantic, Iowa. And one day, Russia invades the United States, and victoriously so. And imagine they set up walls around Atlantic, and they won't let us out, and they won't let anyone in. There's this blockade. After a little while, they turn off all electrical power to Atlantic. They turn off all the gas, the Casey's trucks, 17 Casey's gas stations we have. Oops, sorry, there's a joke. Uh, But all these gas stations can't get more gas. The, The grocery stores can't get more food. Soon after, it won't take long before the the Hy-Vee and Fairway um, shelves are empty. Maybe within a week, shelves are completely empty because people are realizing there's walls and we're in deep trouble. People are loading as much food in their house as they can, but pretty soon the milk spoils, the, uh, the ice cream and the pizza and everything that's in the, in the meat that's in the freezers, all the bacon starts going bad pretty quickly, and we're in trouble. The, the bread starts to mold. Within a month, we're, in, we're already feeling in a major pinch. Um, within two or three months, per, almost everybody's shelves are empty. A few people can manage to go out and shoot a squirrel or or find a rabbit that uh, is in town. People on the, on the border of town, once in a while, a deer might come into town, and those deers are, are shot pretty quickly. But people can't get food. Uh, people going down to the, the river and fish for catfish. They might catch a catfish or a carp or something once in a while, but there's not much food to be had. And after a few months, people are starting to die, but that's still only three or four or five months in, to this blockade. And uh, we start having major problems getting water. Where are we going to get fresh water from? Maybe they let let us into the quarry and we are able to get a few fish out of the quarry and a few uh, get the water out of there. But uh, maybe not. And all uh, people are, uh, we can't get medical supplies. If somebody has a serious medical condition, they, they can't go to Omaha because the Russians won't let us out. Nobody can come in either and deliver anything. After more months, people are more and more dying. After a year, half of Atlantic has died, or maybe more. And people are starting to think, what what are we going to do? We have no food. They're not starting to think. They've been thinking that for months. And you can imagine complete disaster. That's... Kind of what it was like in Jerusalem around 587, 586 B.C. And so the book that I'm thinking of is Lamentations. How many of you have heard series, a series of sermons in Lamentation? Everybody here? Not from me. Okay. I tried finding them. I tried finding them on um, YouTube. Uh, I said, Mike, do you know where any sermons I can listen to? Well, he directed me to one place. I found a few, but, but uh, very few. And almost all sermons in Lamentations are in chapter 3. And we'll think about why that is. But I want to do just chapter 1. But before we get into Lamentations, and it's an amazing book, 
a hard book, a sad book, and a, but an amazing book. But we have to set it up with Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is a, really a, a, all scripture is inspired by God and is all important and vital, but some are more strategic to know in order to understand the scriptures. And Deuteronomy 28 is really important to know in understanding the Old Testament because God is speaking to the nation of Israel, so they have escaped from, or set free from Egypt, and then the, uh, there were the 12 spies who went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good, remember that song? And the uh, uh, people of Israel unfortunately followed the lead of the 10 who were bad, and so the people of Israel had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years while the adults died, and then finally those who were 20 and under, or was it under 20? I always forget. Um, were allowed to, you know, they were, they were the ones who were allowed to then go. They had grown up over those 40 years and had grown to full-fledged adults and were going to go into the promised land. But they weren't there yet. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses restates the law. And in chapter 28, you see this really uh, uh, an important chapter to keep in mind throughout the whole Old Testament. And uh, it says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. This is a promise for all people of all time? No. This is a promise to Israel, the nation. God's chosen physical nation has this, this important chapter here. That if you obey me, you're going to be exalted. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called, this is verse uh, 10, that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity and the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. And so uh, the people of Israel could say, yeah, if we're obedient, we're going to physically and financially prosper. It's going to be good. Uh, you know, health and wealth type people would have loved to be part of Israel at that time. This is a promise, a guarantee for Israel, not for us. And then there's a second half, this word but in verse 15. So 1 through 14 promises blessings for Israel's obedience, verse 15 and on curses for disobedience, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed, cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl and so on. The Lord will cause, verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be, be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. Verse 33, a nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and all your labors and you shall be, uh, you shall be only oppressed and, uh, and crushed continually. Verse 30, 
6, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods and of wood and stone, and you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples, and so on. Cursings to Israel if they disobey. So... We'll keep that in mind. We'll look at one more before we get into Lamentations. Stephan, we're doing Lamentations, right? But first, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 19. So Jeremiah was a prophet over quite a few years. I forget how many years, but a few different kings, including the last king of Judah. So I know all of you have memorized the walk through the Old Testament that we did a few years ago. Remember that? Creation, fall, flood, nations, Abraham, and so on. And remember uh, that the prophets spoke to the people, uh, prophets speak, and then it was divided kingdom because they didn't obey the Lord. And so Israel was scattered. Remember that one? Assyria came along and they took They conquered the northern tribes and scattered them, and we still haven't seen them. We don't know where they are. And yet, Revelation chapter 12, anyway, somewhere in Revelation we see that we eventually will know them, and they will be back, and many will be saved. 12,000 from each tribe uh, is mentioned. Anyway, um, so the northern kingdom, that's what happened in the northern, then the southern kingdom, and that was in 722 B.C. that they were scattered. Then the southern kingdom um, is what's called Judah, and as you read in the Old Testament, sometimes you'll read Israel and it's the whole nation, sometimes you'll read Israel and it's the northern kingdom, and Judah is the southern kingdom, which includes Jerusalem. And uh, so we've got Judah the southern kingdom still, um, and, and uh, that is the one that uh, the book of Lamentations deals with. But in Jeremiah, uh, I'll read portions of chapter 19. Thus says the Lord, go buy a potter's earthenware flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnon to the entrance of the potsherd gate and proclaim here the words that I tell you. You shall say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle, because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hand of those who seek their life, I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth, and I will make this, this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at, 
Everyone who passes by it will be horrified, and I will hiss because of all its wounds, and I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters, and everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them, and so on. That's in Jeremiah 19. So, that's a little preparation for going to Lamentations, chapter 1. Lamentations, chapter 1. And as I was singing, as we were singing a song earlier, I thought, I, should, I really should have asked Bill, booming bass voice Bill, to come up and read Lamentations 1 to you. But I didn't ask him ahead of time. So you'll have to bear with me as we go through Lamentations chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper. Because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughters of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before their pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future, therefore her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They, tra they trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. 
They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in their midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as, it, as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For, the, though, for these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord, in, excuse me, the Lord is in the right for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is none to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. Well, I'd like to just uh, look at a few uh, highlights or lowlights, as the case may be, um, and just work our way through this a little bit. You see, uh, the first several verses uh, into verse 11, you might say this is um, describing Jerusalem as a, a woman, and a few different words for her are used, um, and it's it, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. We don't know for sure that Jeremiah wrote this. It's, most people think that it was him. Some people might think it's someone else, but whatever the case, I'm going to speak as if it were Jeremiah. I tend to think that's him, but we, again, we don't know for sure. Uh, but uh, Jeremiah, a prophet to Jerusalem, to, to Judah, and now he has looked. It's been 18 months that the Babylonians, or sometimes called the Chaldeans, uh, were surrounding Jerusalem for 18 months. Nobody can get in or out. Finally, the king and some soldiers try to get out, and they get caught, and he gets uh, taken, but uh, it's disastrous, and people um, are dying and dying, and, and even cannibalism is, uh, takes place, and people are selling their food for, um, for huge treasures and, and, and so on. It's a whole horrible, horrible situation. Eventually, th uh, the buildings are knocked down, and even the temple is destroyed. How lonely sits the city that was full of people like a widow she has become. Uh, she who was great among the nations. Nowadays, now, uh, a, a widow, I am told, uh, can uh, have it very tough in life. Um, Linda, years ago, met, uh, she um, got together with some of the widows here in Atlantic and, 
and uh, they were having a luncheon or something, a brunch or what have you, and, and uh, she said even some of the widows whose husbands had died, uh, you know, 20 years before, they, the, the, they said, we still miss our husbands. So being a widow they, uh, apparently is a, a hard thing. How much harder in uh, Bible times where a widow where it's not just the emotional and relational thing, but it's a a literal, can I eat now? Will I still have a roof over my head? Here in America, we have enough wealth and prosperity that widows are generally at least somewhat taken care of, financially speaking, and sometimes very well taken care of. But um, in Bible times, and still many places around the world, uh, a widow is in a a terrible situation uh, financially as well, and she's uh, hopeless. Jerusalem is also seen as a princess among the provinces. It was great. She She had a glorious existence, but now she has become a slave, as bad as it gets. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. It sounds, all her lovers, it sounds like maybe she was an adulteress, woman this Jerusalem was. And in fact, Judah was at times guilty of idolatry, uh, spiritual adultery. And she has none to comfort her. We see this, I, this uh, very similar phrase several times in this chapter, none to comfort her. And Jerusalem has been destroyed. People are gone and no one to comfort her. Judah has gone into exile and hard servitude, and, and so thousands of people were taken from Judah, uh, from Jerusalem, and taken to Babylon. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and those were people who were taken from uh, Judah and taken into exile in Babylon, um, and, and uh, f- very much frequently as into hard servitude. Uh, It says, she finds no resting place. The roads to Zion mourn for none come to the festivals, the various festivals and and, uh, religious ceremonies and such that uh, they would have celebrated. Her virgins have been afflicted. That sounds like an act of violence against the women. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for multitude of her transgressions. I thought it was Babylon. I didn't think it was the Lord doing this awful stuff. It's something, as you read this passage, notice who did it. It's centered more on the Lord than on Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah seems more upset about what God has done then about what Nebuchadnezzar has done. The Lord has afflicted her. Why? For the multitude of her transgressions. You know how we love to see children. Alex, Caroline, I'll bet the two most popular people here are your kids, right? And um, Daniel? No. Pardon? Ava? Ava? Where is she? Oh, okay. (laughs) But I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Dollar in the middle. 
Connor. Why do I always think Daniel? Connor. Connor, you're not quite a child. You're bigger than a child, but anyway. So, anyway, people love children. People love children. Wouldn't it be a heartache to, to be in a place where there's no children running around? The, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. You see how awful it is, how miserable it is in verse 9. She has no comforter. And we go through ver, uh, ch- uh, verses 1 through 11. It's speaking about Jerusalem, and overall, it's awful. It's horrible. You and I, very few, if any of, of, of us, have gone through anything as horrible as this. I can't say none of us. You know, some of you have gone through really terrible stuff, but... Um, but, uh, you know, this is horrible, horrible stuff. Now it's like Jerusalem speaks, starting with the second half of verse 11. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised, Jerusalem says. Is it nothing to all of you who pass by, if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger? People don't like to think about the anger of the Lord near as much as we like to think about the love and the mercy of God, right? We'd rather the world love, not we, but the world would love to look at God as being kind of a senile grandpa who's sitting in the corner watching his grandkids play and smile and he's playing with his dentures and and, uh, everything that the grandkids do is good. And he just loves it, and he loves them and, and isn't going to do anything because he's just the senile, weak grandpa who's not going to do anything. That's not the God of the Scriptures. The Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high, he sent fire. He spread a net for my feet. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah for a comforter. Verse 16 is far from me. Verse 17, none to comfort her. Verse 18, some say say that verse 18 is the key verse in the book of Lamentations. Not sure about that. might be the Lord is in the right for I have rebelled against his word. So Jerusalem is admitting what the Lord has done to me, which is horrific, I deserve it. I have rebelled against him. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. Well, verse 20 now Um, is crying out to the Lord. So we've got a description, verses 1 through 11a. Then we've got Jerusalem speaking, 11b through verse 19. And verse 20, crying out to the Lord, Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me. And why is my my, uh, heart wrung within me? Because... I have been very rebellious. So Jerusalem is admitting her sin. 
They heard my groaning, yet there was none to comfort me there in verse 21. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. That's not surprising. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. So now Jerusalem is saying, bring that on uh, my enemies as well. But at least Jerusalem has said, I have been very rebellious. Well, God has been rough on Jerusalem, hasn't he? Isn't it a good thing that God would never act like that in the New Testament? Isn't that a good thing? I mean, the God of the New Testament, he's, he's not anything like this, is he? Hmm. Let me think. <laughs> okay, and you, know the, and you already know the answer, don't you? We do see that judgments and, and uh, uh, discipline from the Lord tr- certainly happens in the New Testament. God in the New, uh, God in the New Testament, he's the same God, same God. So let's look at a few verses, uh, math, uh, Mark chapter 9. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone would be hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Uh, Verse 48, uh, no, verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. How about the book of Matthew, chapter 25? Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. God still is acting that way. How about, how about in the book of Acts? How about amongst church folks, shall we say? In the book of Acts, chapter 5, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some for himself, some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to the light of the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Similar events happened with his wife. God still takes sin seriously, and you can look in the book of Revelation and on, you know, there's quite a few places you see in the book of Acts chapter 12, you see terrible stuff happening with Herod. So God is still a God who inflicts wrath even in New Testament times. Even in New Testament times, God has been 
God does, in fact, do such things. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, and so on. I will repay, God says. So that's pretty serious. And yet, wasn't it all taken care of at the cross? So how can that be that God is a, still a God of judgment and though it was taken care of at the cross? When Jesus died for us, he was dying for, for us, right? So he was taking the judgment and the punishment that we all deserve, right? So there's a difference between judgment and discipline. That's one way. That's, I think that's a helpful way to look at it. There's a difference. Be, so in Hebrews chapter 12, we see discipline. And this is where we see God dealing with his children in relation to sin. Our, I speak to you as if we're all believers in Christ I don't know if that's the case. I hope so. If you're not yet a believer in Christ, you need to get right with him, and we've been reminded a little bit of that. Why? The same God who did this to Jerusalem sends people to hell still today and will continue to do so, and you need to make sure you're not one of them. For those of us who have received the gift of salvation, that's not an issue. That's not in question. We're not going there. But God is still a God who disciplines his children. And God is not like the grandpa sitting in the corner. And he's not like the dad or mom who doesn't like to hurt his kids' feelings and wants to make them feel good about themselves all the time. He's the God who wants his children to live godly and holy lives. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed you, addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. My understanding, I'm not a historian, I've heard this in multiple places, that since the fall of Jerusalem there, that Israel has not really had a problem of going back into idolatry. Uh, Like they kept doing it in the Old Testament. They kept going back to idolatry. But I've heard and read that that's not the case. You might say God has disciplined his, that chosen people, that nation, to such a degree that at least they've kept away from idolatry in that sense. He still disciplines his children, those of us who have received God's gift of salvation, whether Gentile or Jew, uh, we have we are his children, and he does discipline. And the same God who disciplined uh, Jerusalem disciplines us sometimes. 
our troubles and our hardships are because of sin. A whole lot of the time it's not. The book of Job shows that a whole lot of the time, Job was, was inflicted not because of sin. But Judah was inflicted because of sin. 1 Corinthians 11 shows that people got sick and even died because of sin. Hebrews, Hebrews 12 here shows that God still disciplines his children. And, you know, when I'm, I've got a cold or I've got a headache or I've uh, got um, the flu or something, maybe that's discipline from the Lord and maybe it's just a hardship that's a result of living in a, a post-fall world. And some, you know, whatever it is, I don't know. But when we do go through hardships, it's certainly worth asking the Lord, looking at his word, considering, is, this something I've, is there something I've done wrong? Is there sin that I have not confessed, sin that I have not yet turned away from, Lord, that I need to confess and apologize to you for? Because some of the things we go through are because of sin, whether it's discipline or just a natural result. You know, if you are not content and you get into debt, that's a natural result of discontentment. If, but on the other hand, sometimes the Lord actually does discipline, and maybe that's one of those ways. When, we're, when we disobey the Lord, we face the prospect of discipline from him. Not the severing of relationship, but difficulties, trials, and hardships. But one thing to keep in mind that we see there in the book of Lamentations at the end of chapter 1, what happens, remember I said, Jerusalem is crying out to the Lord, that third section of Lamentations chapter 1. Jerusalem is crying out, and the Lord wants us to cry out to him if we're going through Discipline from him, he wants us to confess it to him and, and, and cry out and ask for a renewed fellowshipping with him. And if it's simply a hardship of, li- of life, which we all go through so much, we want, he wants us to cry out to him, Lord, help me. I'm going through this financial har- hardship. Help me. I'm going through this physical hardship. Help me. My relationship with this person is hard. Help me. Whatever it is, cry out to the Lord, the God who is a God of judgment, a God of discipline, a God of holiness, a a God of righteousness, and a God who wants to hear our cries to him. What a good God that we have who wants to hear us crying out to him. So let us cry out to him. Dear Father, we do thank you that you love us that you cherish us, even though we go through hardships. In fact, that's part of your molding and making us into who you want us to be. Sometimes, Father, you put us through discipline. We, we uh, have done something wrong or we have not done something that we ought, and Lord, make us sensitive and aware of those times and remind us and lead us to confession and repentance and changing and turning to you and turning to your ways. And Lord, um, when it's simply a hard time that is a result of living in a fallen world, 
Lord, give us help. Remind us to come to you, to reach out to you, to cry out to you, and uh, uh, to, to entrust ourselves to you. We thank you, Father, that you care for us and that your care for us is, goes so far as to caring enough uh, to, to do the hard thing on us and for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.